Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that could transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the lives of the people you know. This is Season 4, Darkness Passing, a reading of the letter of 1 John. You're about to hear a conversation between Kent Reader, a pastor at Illumin Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, and Luke Thompson, a pastor at St. Paul, a congregation serving downtown Ottawa, the University of Ottawa, and Carleton University in Ontario, Canada. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E Podcast.com. This is the fourth season's fourth episode, Complete Love. Welcome to the Notable Podcast. I am Kent. And I'm Luke. And today, uh, Luke has a a quote from The Lord of the Rings that I don't even know what it is, and he's going to start us out by explaining how it connects to the section from 1 John chapter 2 that we're going to be digging into. Go for it. All right, so Frodo and Sam, I forget where this is in the story, but I think they're on their way up Mount Mordor, and the lines both in the book and in the movie, and as they're trying to get up that mountain, Frodo falls over, and he says to Sam, he says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know, it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't, because they were holding on to something. And Frodo says, what are we holding on to, Sam? Sam says, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. And I think this is so significant, or at least it was so illuminating for me, is when I was thinking about 1 John here and our theme of darkness passing, and that's right in the middle of the things that we're looking at today. John says that the darkness is passing. In what way can we talk about the darkness passing? How can we look at our world and say it's one in which darkness is passing? And the beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing about Christianity is we can look at this whole meta-narrative that stretches over time and space in our universe, and we can understand that despite the fact that there's pain and suffering in this world around us right now, even darkness must pass. We know that this shadow is a passing thing, and we can cast our eyes forward. In fact, even now, 
because of the resurrection and because of the real hope that Christ brings into this world, there is now light in this world. The darkness is still here. It's not gone, but it's passing. And that's the important thing to think about. Um, the light of the gospel, it's already shining, right? Um, so that's what I love about that Lord of the Rings quote. It makes me think of this, this part of First John every time that I hear it. Not that I'm sitting it's, around it's listening gr- to Lord of the Rings or watching, <laughs> <laughs> watching it all the time. But have people who come into your office and read you sections from Tolkien. <laughs> um, just so that we don't get eaten alive by fellow nerds, um, the mountain is not called Mount, Mount Mordor. It's called Mount Doom. That's right. Um, You're absolutely that right. That yeah. cli- it's, not, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a super good quote. It is so, a big deal. And I, I liked the part. You're right. It is. Um, I like the part where uh, he talks about how the world will return to the way it was. Um, like that, that there's sort of this this getting back into a thing that was good or getting back into a thing that was helpful because that really, I think, connects to what we're looking at today in First John chapter 2 where we will have the part that literally says the words darkness is passing just like um, Sam did in that quote. But we also are going to have surrounding that all these ideas all these ideas about like commands or behavior or the things that you're supposed to do or not supposed to do Absolutely. and it's not like we make the darkness pass by doing these things it's that when those things start to happen they are evidence that the darkness is passing yeah so one of our major themes as we're going through the book of John is joy complete and we get to see how the gospel creates these communities And when we're going to be reading the text that we're going through, one of the ways that we decide to maybe change things up a little bit is to kind of show some of the communities that the gospel has created in your life, Kent, and mine. And so, Kent, what we're about to hear, at your church you host an annual songwriting workshop, is that correct? Yeah, Yeah, we do a songwriting weekend at the first week of June every year, and we bring in songwriters from around the country. Um, and we've just got a couple of the voices, just two of the guys um, who have come to, to all of our songwriting weekends um, and who are avid songwriters and really gifted individuals um, who agreed to do this next reading for us. Fantastic. Is there anything you can tell us about these, these two guys? Yeah. Uh, it's Caleb Schmiege is one of them, and, and Tim Babbler is the other. Um, Tim Babbler is uh, just starting a new... Um, opportunity up in Wisconsin as a worship leader for a multi-site congregation. Um, he's an incredibly creative guy. He, he writes a lot of great music um, and is extremely passionate about like empowering people to be creative within the church and to do creative work, uh, especially in, in the area of music. Um, and Caleb Schmiege is currently serving as a tutor at uh, Michigan Lutheran Seminary, which is a high school in Michigan, um, but he's a, a very gifted piano player, um, a, a very gifted and thoughtful songwriter. Um, and the, the two of them, it's been very fun because I've kind of known them for, for a lot of years and watched their songwriting develop and grow and and the three of us and uh and and you and i and and my wish coordinator here at illumin drew we've had a lot of discussions about what songwriting for the church should be and, and creativity in the church can be and just the community that's grown around those uh discussions has been really motivating and inspiring uh so it's really great to have these guys uh, lend their voices to this project too very very cool and so the the verses then that we're going to hear them read then is 
John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And maybe just as we're looking at this section and kind of getting things off, so John begins with these words, at least in the section that we're looking at today, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. How would you explain that, Kent, without somehow making us turn into people that think that we somehow earn the right to be in God's favor, or that somehow um, the fact that we obey God is the thing that makes us close to him or makes him happy. But, yeah, it's, it's so important like to identify verbs and the ways that those verbs are, are used and the tenses that they have, right? If it said we know that uh, we will come to know him if we obey his commands, that would mean one thing. That would mean that you know, by, by being good people, we are able to, come to get to know God. Um, and that seems to be this sort of um, assumed question that John has, uh, that he's assuming that his readers have, is like, how do I get to know God? How do I get to, to come near and be connected to the one that was described in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, or 1, one and 2? Um, but he doesn't say, if we will obey him, we will get to know him. He says, if we have come to know him, um, then we will be obeying his commands. So if we obey his commands, we know that the, the coming to know God has already happened. Not that the coming to know God happens through the obedience, it happens by getting to know the one who was obedient, by getting to know God in Jesus, the one who was brought up in verse 1 of chapter 2 and, and in verse 2, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, so I, th I think we can, we can rely on John's words to keep us out of any kind of, of idea of earning God's favor, earning, God's, uh, earning a relationship with God. Because um, as he goes on, everything's going to be built on that foundation, that the obedience that Christians have is a result um, of something else already having taken place. I don't know. What do you say about it? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Obviously, the context, if you're just looking at the two verses before this, it makes it crystal clear that that's, that Paul is, that uh, John is not saying that we need to do things in order to be right with God. Because the very verses before that, he says, I write this to you so that you don't sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it's clear we just got to keep that passage in our minds. Who's ever reading this book, whatever you're reading in it, 
that verse just has to stay there with you the entire time. But just like you were saying, looking at the tenses of those verbs, um, maybe even looking at the the if-then constructions, right? Yeah. John is yeah. not saying that to know Jesus, you must keep his commands. He's saying that keeping God's commands is the result, the evidence of knowing God. So maybe compare that to a sentence like, we know it has rained if the sidewalk is wet, right? The sidewalk being wet isn't the thing that makes it rain. That's just the evidence of it. The point is that the smoke to the fire of the gospel is someone who has this pattern of love instead of hate in their life. So there's another thing you brought up or you mentioned when you um, read verse 1 of chapter 2 that I think is also important to getting the context that's going on here. Um, it's a little bit on a different tack than we've been taking, but he says at the beginning of chapter 2, I write this to you, and he explains why he's writing it. That comes up a bunch of times in this yeah. chapter, and we're splitting the sections of this chapter into three episodes, um, but it's probably worth noting, right, he's sort of justifying the rest of the book. Um, in, in this chapter, in verse uh, 7, he's going to talk about why he's writing and what he's writing. And then when we get into that beautiful poetic section, verse 12 and onward, um, he says over and over, I write to you, I write to you, I write to you, I write to you, all saying, like, look, there's a purpose to this, there's a goal to this. Um, and the goal is to help you with the way that you function, the way that you live, the way that you behave, but not to help you do that by just curbing your behavior, rather by introducing you better to Jesus and everything that he means and the fact that he makes the darkness pass. So then what would you say is the goal of this I write this to you section that he's got going on here? If we're looking, if we're at, looking at like yeah. 2, 1 through 2, 6? Yep. I write this to you to show you what it looks like to know God. Yeah. So he gets into verse 6. Whoever... Um, claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Like there's this direct connection between understanding God and the way that you behave as a result of understanding God. Um, God's love being made complete. Um, that idea from chapter 1 coming out in verse 5 uh, here in chapter 2. I, I say that's the point of this particular section. Yeah. Know, would you say the same or would you elaborate? No, I think that's, I think that's spot on. It's, it's now as followers of this Jesus who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, what does this life look like? And again, we're not talking about individual sins. John's not saying um, you have to be perfect in every action that you have in your life. Instead, he's saying we know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands in this broad sense in that our life has changed and it's now patterned in a new special way that reflects this atoning sacrifice, Jesus, that we're following. Yeah, so John essentially helps each person who's reading his words uh, sort of step out of themselves and, and look at their own lives from the outside looking in. And he, he kind of challenges them and says, look, if you'll take the time to get to know and understand and feel the love of Jesus, I'll bet you that you're going to see your life be different. You're going to see the decisions you make and the ways that you function and, and the, the behaviors that you have be affected by that. And I promise that's going to happen because it's the way this works. Uh, well, then, then what's the significance with this, this contrast between a new command and an old command that's taking place then in verses 7 through 8? How does that fit into... It, it is it, like... 
it, there's so much packed into just that paragraph um, and that contrast <laughs> between the old and new command, which he doesn't really spend any time elaborating on. Um, right? He just points out that these two different commands exist. Um, and the, the difference is, I think, like we can, it's, it's a reframing of the way God has kind of functioned with his people forever. And now this, this new way where it used to be that in order to have a, a good a, a arrangement with God or a good relationship with him, you needed to obey him and then he would reward you for that behavior. And, and now the thing is different. This, this new command is seen in him and you. Um, it's seen in this new kind of relationship that you have through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, where things are actually happening, not as a result of what you're doing, but as a result of what he has done. Yeah, I saw it in a, in a similar way, maybe just a little different. So the old command, obviously the Old Testament. So the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, they had been reading and following the Old Testament for generations and generations and generations. And a lot of what Jesus is teaching as far as the new type of life that you need to live if you read John's gospel and especially the type of new community that he's talking about with his disciples. A lot of the kernels and seeds of that, they're, they're in the Old Testament. The Old Testament clearly taught love for one another. The commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those were not invented by Jesus, right? Those were already back there in the Old Testament. But somehow it's being made new and special these commandments to love your neighbors and to love your brothers and sisters. It's being made special in the light of Jesus as this ideal example and motivation of that love, this, this gospel-motivated reason. Now we get to see Jesus in such a new, or, or to see the motivation for doing these things in such a new concrete way in the person of Jesus. And this is what John is just so excited to write about is that this, it's a new command in that John's saying, I, I saw him, I touched him, I witnessed him, I got to see physically and viscerally and got in a relationship with this Savior and it's making all of these old commands new for me. And it, it's just injecting our desire to create a new community in a way that we've just never gotten to experience historically. But we we get to do that now because Jesus has come. This is one of the big like challenges that I think I face as a preacher or as a minister to people. Um, they wanna they wanna have the old command still. They wanna function in the old pattern, the old way that that the Old Testament kind of had it. And that's partially because, like you said, the new command still got a lot of the same elements. It's still got a lot of the same you know, pieces um, as the old one. They're just arranged differently. So in the old way, it was obedience first, relationship second. And in the new version of this, the one that John personally experienced in getting to know Jesus, it was relationship first and obedience second. And th this is this sort of change that he's trying to, to illustrate uh, to his people in this paragraph. And then sort of, I think, he makes an application of this relationship first, obedience second, in verses 9, 10, and 11 when he talks about people's relationship with their brother. Does yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. And especially, so maybe thinking of this idea then of, of relationships first, obedience second, how would you tie that into, so the, the other major theme of this section and that 
that gets repeated over and over again throughout the letter. If anyone obeys God's word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So how does obedience connect with God's love uh, being made complete? And we've touched on this a bit, I think, in the past. Because, yeah, right, like in the opening. Yeah. So there's something uncomfortable about saying that God's love in me isn't complete until I start doing something, right? Um, mm-hmm. So how does obedience relate to God's love being made complete, truly made complete, like John says? Right. Yeah, so it has to go outside of us, right? Like that, that God's love is certainly enough for me. It's complete for me as an individual or for any person as an individual. But God's love made complete is when God's love is experienced by all the people that God loves. Um, so God reaches out yeah. to me through Jesus with a relationship. And then I, in turn, become Jesus' hands and feet in obedience and love other people. And then they get to, through that love that I show them in my words and my actions and my kindness and whatever else it is, my self-sacrifice toward them and the way that Jesus self-sacrificed towards me. Uh, as I do this for them, then they get to experience the love of God and his love becomes even more complete than it previously was. That's why you, you can't hate your brother and live in the light. That's why you, you, you have to love your brother first and then hope that, that what happens in their life comes after that, right? The relationship first would be. Yeah, right. It, be, it begins with the idea of, of God's love begins when you find out who he is, but his, his goal is not, is not finished when you realize who your Savior is and what he's done for you. His goal is that that doesn't just stay with you, but that that spills out from you into the community, um, into acts of love and service and sharing that gospel. Yeah, John always has that goal, right? He he always is putting that in front of the people. Um, And it's, he does a thing in verse 11 that like just for the sake of this episode is frustrating to me because I wish that he had put verse 10 before, <laughs> after verse 11, verse 11, you know, before verse 10 so that he would have ended the yeah, section. Yeah, let's talk about that paragraph. Positive yeah. note or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but he does, in verse 11 especially, have this really depressing illustration about someone who hates his brother, is in the darkness, walks around in the darkness, doesn't know where to go because the darkness has blinded them. Like he stacks negative on top of negative on top of negative while he describes this person who's in the darkness. Um, so my question is, wh- where do you see that happening as you like reach out to people? Where, where do you interact with that kind of walking around in darkness, blindness sort of thing in your ministry? Well, I think a big part of it here is again this this contrast that John's making between lifestyles. So his overarching concern like we've been talking about, is ongoing sinful habits. He's motivating us to get rid of ourselves, to get rid from ourselves sinful lifestyles. The earlier section makes it clear that when we do sin, Jesus forgives us. But here, I think we got to think of this hate in the context of kind of this the full lifestyle, um, not an occasional slip into hateful thought, but an ongoing hatred towards someone. John's making the point that it's contradictory to the gospel to have a hatred that's part of your lifestyle um, or, or just this, this kind of component to your lifestyle where it's okay to hate your boss, where it's okay to be racist, even if I've got a group around me that is somehow promoting that and I'm feeling comfortable doing it. That is, that's living in the darkness, right? 
any time that that hatred is a marked part of your lifestyle, any time that someone can point to something in the way that you operate on a day-to-day basis and say, that is, that's motivated by hatred, that's, a, that's something that you can point to and say, this in no way can line up with the gospel. And the very fact that this is part of your lifestyle, that it's ingrained in the way that you operate and you call yourself a Christian, there's a major problem with that. There's a huge problem with that. And that's why John speaks so strongly about it. You are blind. You, you are stumbling in the darkness, which means that you're, you're outside of the, the light of the gospel when you're operating in those ways. He's not necessarily calling you an unbeliever. I don't know, maybe he is. Um, but he's definitely saying this cannot happen in any way, shape, or form. Is that kind of where, where you were going with that? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think you're. I think I agree with your thought about not calling you an unbeliever. Like, I don't, I don't really think John is in the business in this paragraph or in this section of deciding whether a soul is going to heaven or going to hell. I think he's just talking about, like, this order of things, right? That that God loves and that yields love in a person's life. And um, what I end up seeing is sort of this subtle, deceptive hand of the devil um, with when it comes to the people who are you know, kind of circling themselves in darkness or walking around in this darkness where... They, they have this, this deception that he's convinced them of that they don't hate, that they aren't acting in hate. But what's real or true about what John is talking about here is, is that hate is just, it's, it's not acting in love, right? It's, sometimes I think this, the English word hate has this connotation of like does things to damage somebody else. Um, and, and that's certainly true on like a, a heavy level of, of dislike. But but if you're acting towards someone in a way that is not primarily founded in love, that is not like primarily desiring to show kindness and goodness and to benefit and to be benevolent and to be loving towards a person, well then you're going around in circles because you almost always treat people that you don't understand or that you don't like that way. Um, you write them off with sarcasm, you ignore them, you make jokes about them, you say they have no common sense or they aren't able to think or whatever kinds of things you want to say about people that aren't like you. And when you do that, you end up just sort of circling the wagons with yourself and further and further bringing yourself into a place where you don't make a good difference. You don't, you don't help anybody. You don't you don't actually bring light into the situation. Even if you're right, you don't actually bring light to the situation because you aren't acting in love. You're just acting in being correct or thinking you're correct. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and, and I'm almost thinking of this broadly. I, I just can't help applying it. So Christine and I were watching this documentary, Wild Wild Country, yeah, yeah. that just came out on Netflix. And so it's about this cult in the middle of Oregon. And what's interesting about it is that you hear the leaders of the cult on the one hand defining their movement as a movement of peace and understanding, and the goal is to build this, this almost Shangri-La type place where, where everyone is welcomed and everyone has the opportunity to be in an environment that's going to transform them peacefully. And then we see that as soon as they kind of hit adversity, all of a sudden the leaders of this group 
they're cursing, they're swearing, they've got guns, they're saying, if you threaten us, then we are, then we are ready to take off your heads. And there's just, on the one hand, the written doctrine of the, of the movement that there's supposed to be this peace group promoting peace in the world, and yet on the other hand, they've got guns, and they're yelling, and they're cursing, and, and they're, it's, it's just obvious that, that they're living in the darkness, that they're, that they're in no way manifesting the types of things that they, that they on some level know that they're supposed to be doing in this world, but they're, they're just still living in this lifestyle that's marked by anger and hatred and violence. And you look at politics, whether it's Canadian or American politics, and you know if you're from another country, if you're from another continent kind of looking and describing the way that people talk to each other politically this time and age, I think it's anger, right? Visceral, Hatred would yeah. be the top words. Yeah, that would be used to describe what's going on. Not that people are just independently doing this every now and then, but it's a marked identity of, of how we operate. And I think that's the type of thing where John says, if you're still living like the rest of the world in this way, if you are still toting the, well, I'm not, you know, toting, semi-automatic weapons like this cult back in the 80s, if you're still cursing and screaming at other people, if you are still putting yourself in a position where you think it's okay to call people in other groups uh, terrible names, if you think it's okay to wear your anger on your sleeve all in the name of righteous indignation, then you're still in the darkness. You do not understand the type of community that Christ is calling us to. It has to look different than this. It has to look different than the rest of the world that's in the darkness of sin and ignorance. It has to, because the promise is that Christ has brought something new to this world. Through forgiveness, we've got new eyes through which to look at our brothers and to look at everyone else and to look and to understand and to redefine who everyone is. And this hatred, it just can't be part of it. Yep. Does that... I, yeah. I love it. I think, you know, in just the, the whole thing sort of can get, there, there's a beautiful way that John alludes to what this looks like and how this works in verse 5, um, where he uses this phrase, um, this is how we know we are, and he says, in him, right? He has this idea um, of the, he, he describes the connection that we have to God, that, that we are in him if we walk as Jesus did. And there's like, there's an openness yeah. to that phrase, right? You can't be in God unless he opens up and, and lovingly reaches out and allows you to come in. Um, and because he's done that, then we also learn to open up and allow people to come in. We, we take down the barriers and we, we say, all right, let's be connected. Whereas hate is the opposite of that. Um, hate isolates and separates. Um, and if we're talking about this idea of, of a dark and isolated world versus a bright and united one, um, and I know it sounds kind of like we're trying to build our own utopia, um, like the guys in the documentary are, but, but it's different, right? Because it is entirely open and selfless. It is based on the idea of, of being available to others. That's what Christ comes and does. He makes himself in, incredibly available to people to the point of dying for them. And, and then he calls us to do the same thing, be, be this kind of open. 
And if you're not going to do that, then then you're not there, right? It's not making sense. Um, there's this, this selfish, selflessness that points in both directions um, that comes from God that he talks about in this section. So, yeah, good connection to that documentary. That's I've heard a lot of talk about that lately. People are into it. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily yeah, say you should go home and watch it, <laughs> but we're we're finding it we're finding it uh, uh, interesting well, and useful. Its popularity is that it helps so, you, it gets people to think. Um, like there's yeah. this there's this surprising insight into human nature that you get from it. Cool. Are there other uh, specific things you want to bring up in this section, Luke? No, I I don't think so. I mean, I think maybe just by way of summary, you got any any way that you'd want to tie things together well I think what he's doing is he's tying the beginning of this chapter to the end of this chapter because um, what he did at the, at the or well to the next part what he did at the beginning right was he established this idea of Jesus as vicarious atoning one um, and now he's he's really going to justify why he's writing about Jesus as we get into 12 uh, 13 14 and, and the verses um, that are so beautiful and poetic that we'll talk about next time and so in here he's just really trying to lay this foundational groundwork for how this is going to work how this is going to to actually be something that can be somewhat realized in the lives of people um, as they go about it individually and as they go about collectively following Jesus, walking as Jesus walked. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, good stuff. yeah, and I think he's going to walk this kind of this fine line on the one hand of saying you're being called into a new life, a new community. Um, into a new way of doing things, but the darkness is passing. We're not saying that that this is an ideal. Um, right. Uh, what's the word we were using? An I- ideal like utopia. Uh, um, uto- yeah, utopia. Right. That that's trying to be produced here by the Christian community. That's not the point, in any way, shape, or form. The only point is that if Jesus was who he claimed he was, and if you are through Jesus who you claim that you are, you're going to look different. There's going to be something about it. There will be real changes to your life compared to before. And he's just getting rolling with this. He's just laying it out. Um, he's going to get sink his teeth into this topic as we just keep moving forward, I think. Oh, yes. Very much so. All right. Well, thanks very much for the discussion today. It's good stuff. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening.